Welcome to the Kingstonian, a program that profiles individuals who are passionate about what they do for a living, about what organization they belong to, or simply passionate about the community they are a part of. And a very good morning. Welcome to the program. My name is Dave Cunningham. To generations of Kingstonians, listeners and viewers alike of CKWS, Floyd Patterson, during his broadcast career, was always recognized as being passionate about the news. And today, we're pleased to have Floyd as our guest. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Dave. Very good to be here. We have a lot of territory to cover today. We're going to talk a little bit about your news career and about your time on City Council and some of the outstanding side activities that you've been a part of, but I'd like you to start off telling us the story of how you got discovered as a broadcaster when you were a high school student in Brockville. Well, all right, then. we got to be off the air by 4 o'clock, eh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> in high school, I started my career really on a tour boat. The Snyder Thousand Island Tour Boats, they ran five boats up through the Thousand Islands, and my job was to clean the windows, sweep the floor after all the trip, and announce the places, the islands, the historic sites. Right. What over here is Bolt Castle, and over there is Needle's Eye, and we're going to go right through it. Just look at that. Right. And um, one day, Jack Radford, owner of the 250-watt radio station, was in the basement of the Revere Hotel in downtown Brockville. He brought a group of visiting broadcasters from, I guess, the Canadian Broadcast Association. He was their host. Mm -hmm. He brought them on a boat tour through the Thousand Islands, and I was announcing, and uh, at the end of the trip, he said, Patterson, you do pretty well on that microphone there. Why don't you come down to my office, and I'll find a job for you. (laughs) Oh, really, sir? (laughs) And so I went down to Mr. Radford office uh, the very next day, because I was so curious about what, why he thought I was a, a good announcer. And uh, he said, you'll be able to uh, run your own DJ show on Saturday afternoons. Would you like that? Yeah, sure. There's no pay. (laughs) But it'll be a great experience for you. So that's that's how I sort of got into broadcasting. And I picked up some other time on CFJR on some of the other days of the week. I remember at one point uh, he had a sponsor who was giving away pastry big trays of pastry from their bake shop and so I had to give away pastry in response to people calling up and giving the correct answer to a question. And they had to go and pick up the pastry mighty quick. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, after that, uh, when I performed on CFGR for a while, um, he said that he had hired people who were trained in radio and television arts at Ryerson in Toronto, and he said, you should go there. Right. So I did. That was the big place for radio broadcasters way back when, at the to time, get their training. Yeah. At that time, they were just starting to teach television production, mm-hmm. and they'd been training radio broadcasters for a long time. So you got in point. at the right time in terms of getting the education. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, my wife paid my tuition. <clears throat> we got married in 1954, and uh, off I went to, to uh, Toronto, back and forth. <laughs> and you ended up in Timmins at one point, correct? Well, yeah. Uh, after I had finished my radio and television arts course, that's where I got the voice training. <clears throat> and voice training is very important, you know. Right. From You get it from somewhere. And... Um, 
The Thompson Publishing Company owned uh, three TV stations and five radio stations between Kirkland Lake and Timmins and Kingston. Mm-hmm. And uh, whenever there was an opening at one of the other markets, you it would be posted on, on the bulletin board. So as soon as I saw Kingston's Radio and Television Center had a job, I jumped at it. So I you wanted, wanted to get, get back home. Oh, yeah. I wanted to get away from the brown Metagamy River but that had been polluted by the Abbott Tibby Paper Company. <laughs> <laughs> back to the beautiful turquoise-colored St. Lawrence River <laughs> where I was born. Now, you hit Kingston and CKWS in 1956. Yeah, May, May 8th. May 10th, 1956. What did the newsroom... Like, did you start in news or did you start on the... Uh, as a no, DJ? I started doing... Being willing to do everything. Okay. And along the way, you know, I did some awful jobs. They tried me on the morning show. Mm-hmm. No good. Uh, it was too... <laughs> that wasn't your calling. or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was always... Uh, I mean, yes, I was always very interested in, in reading the news, writing the news, and interviewing people in the community about news events. Now, if you watch television today, you see what a newsroom looks like to a great extent with some of the 24-hour news uh, stations that are out there. Mm -hmm. So people have a perception of what a newsroom might look like. So back in 1956, what did the newsroom look like at CKWS? Oh, well, uh, the newsroom was just a place with a lot of desks, and we Mm -hmm. didn't have computers to work on yet. It was all typewriters. Right. But it wasn't uh, too long before we got our first uh, bank of uh, teletypes? Uh, no, we had we had tele- teleprinters to get the news in from the Canadian press, but we went to um, computer right. like this one right here. Yeah. to type the news on and uh, wasn't too long after that before they uh, had that linked up to the teleprompters in the studio one level down at 180 Queen Street. Right. 180 Queen Street has been broadcast headquarters commercially for two radio stations and a TV station since um, the Davies family took over a bus service, great mm-hmm. big cement block bus service building. <clears throat> Excuse me. So and the station turned was it into a, a television broadcast studio. So the station was always there at 180 Queen from day one. From day one, uh, the uh, Senator Rupert Davies, Arthur Davies, now Michael Davies family mm-hmm. owned most of the shares, and they set up that television station. Right. And hired this. Bill Luxton was the first program director. He went from uh, CKWS to a job at broadcasting in uh, in broadcasting in Ottawa. A lot of people who worked at CKWS News did go on to careers in big cities or other networks or even down to the states. Oh yes, and that that station has been a training uh, place for uh, news personnel. Keith Bogue, who's right. been reporting on the Trump campaign and the changes that have been happening. Uh, He started his career at CKWS. There was a guy named Al McGregor who Mm -hmm. went to CJOH after us, and uh, a lot of people. Martin C. Mungle is another name I remember. Martin C. Mungle was a CBC African reporter at one point. And he went to work for ABC at one point, too, down in the States. I'm not sure where he went after that. But I'd just like to go back to that day one when uh, uh, CKWS-TV went on the air 
no, in November of 1954. And so two years later, I came there just as the station was really getting its infrastructure for broadcasting in place and everything. And I remember going to the studio and I saw two huge cameras on wooden tripods with on on uh, wheeled uh, carts that were you could push them around. Right. It took a real a good guy with good muscles and a to move the cameras healthy around. body to move the cameras around. There now, were two of these. Now, you told me at one point that the studio at CKW West was one of the largest in Ontario at one point. Yeah, when they had it functioning and it was uh, set up as a broadcast, television broadcast studio, among the private stations... Uh, in that year, uh, there, uh, the, the market really started to jump when the first television station uh, functioned in response and, and began taking on advertising from the, their local market. We, mm-hmm. we were the 13th television station in Ontario to go on the air. Hmm. And there were stations in Hamilton and Windsor and Other the cities. CBC yeah. was was ahead of everybody. They they uh, fired up their first national television network uh, cameras in CFCF Montreal, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, so the CBC was there, and uh, they had they from almost day one the uh, the local CKWS TV outlet became the um, vehicle for passing through network programming. Now, I want to get to some of the things that you did when you were at CKWS. After you began your career as a newsman, you eventually ended up doing a whole pile of different things. You were doing editorials, and you were doing a call-in show, and you were doing um, community journal episodes. Yeah. what was the favorite thing that you did while, during your career at CKWS when it comes to news? Well, from a point of view of interacting with the community, I guess the Open Line Show. I hosted Hotline with Floyd Patterson for about 13 years, and um, I was the producer of it, and I was really busy all the time garnering t- uh, high-profile Guests to right. interact with. Usually, I would look for someone who was the center of an issue in the news at the time, uh, like the um, oh, what was his name? The doctor who established the first uh, independently operated uh, uh, abortion. Morgenthaler. Yeah, Doctor Morgenthaler. Yeah. yeah, I had I had him on my program about three times over five years. He kept coming back. You know, he loved to be on the program, and he loved to interact with people and try to sell his point of view. Right. And uh, others on the Open Line show that delighted me were John Diefenbaker. He was uh, – the program started out as uh, a one-hour Open Line show that was um, hosted by an, a, a local alderman. They were called aldermen then, Alderman George Webb. Right. I remember George. Was the host. Yep. And before him, there was a United Church uh, chaplain who was the pastor at Reddendale United Church. He he did that for a year before George. Okay. And these, you know, these people had other careers. And so I I started to be their backup (laughs) when one of them couldn't turn up to do their program. And after... After I took over the program and it became known as Hotline with Floyd Patterson, it went to two hours. 
So it went from 9 till 11 every morning. And uh, as a talk show, it was one of the leading audience getters. Mm-hmm. At that time, radio open line talk shows were popular all over the place. They just sort of boomed. And, uh, and then they just fell back uh, into routine broadcasting after a while. When formula broadcasting from the satellites took over That's right. airtime, and it was more marketable, uh, I was. <laughs> but the topics I was dealing with appealed more to a middle-aged than an older and adult audience, right? Because uh, uh, because all the other people were at work at that time of That's the right. day, and yeah. and uh, weren't necessarily listening to. They you. weren't yeah. necessarily listening, but some were listening at work. <laughs> That's right, as opposed to working. <laughs> but my, my career also at CKWS involved producing community journal. Goodness me, 20 years of, of doing that. There must have been, I'll multiply that by the number of weeks in 20 years. Yeah. And uh, that, that was to accommodate the station's uh, license requirements to um, have a minimum amount of... Um, foreground programming or foreground minutes right in in local their log. programming yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, for the region mm-hmm. they want to add but well, well on the open line show we could talk about anything and have uh, any kind of topic uh, that uh, came along came along yeah yep. at some particular point you decided that you were going to retire from broadcasting so this would be 1996 no, somewhere in there 2000 2000 yeah okay um, now, I worked at this, the Radio TV Center in Kingston, where you and I both worked, right. for about 40 years, and it all ended in 2001. Hmm. And oh, then I'm you decided... tell you how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> we can do the math, Floyd. <laughs> now, well, here's at, my driver's license. <laughs> at some particular point, you decided to take a run at city council and got involved with uh, yeah, sitting around uh, the horseshoe. After I, said, after I had said goodbye to my broadcast career... Um, let me see. Get my articulators going here. Rubber buggy bumpers. <laughs> you know the old things that you would That's right. you'd say to get your articulation going? Uh, yeah, well, I got called to a meeting uh, by a group of people, and we, we were meeting in um, the breakfast nook at the, uh, the hotel, just out near where Fresh Cold Food is, across the street there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Travel Lodge. <clears throat> yeah. Yep. And they were looking around for, you'll have community groups who try to pinpoint some individual who can represent the district or represent the city in the way that they think it ought to be represented. And they thought I was a promising prospect, let's say. Right. So I decided to run. Okay. So I had a group of citizens helping me, and I managed to defeat Don Rogers in the Sydenham district. And uh, so from... uh, 2003 to 2006, I was on the city council. And one of the things, we we were the really activist council led by Mayor Harvey Rosen, and right. we had a, a list of seven things to achieve in our three years, and we, we did them all, uh, except we, we didn't have very good luck with the um, KMP Trail. Right. We had started it downtown at the waterfront, didn't make very much progress, because a lot of it was trying to persuade rural owners to sell their land or to donate mm-hmm. the land. Right. And so, but 
what you have. You have the K-Rock Center now, right? $47 million project. You have the four-pad in Vista Center, $38 million out at, uh, on Gardner's Road. Right. And uh, you have development on Block D. Uh, you know where that is. Mm-hmm. It was really controversial. So I ended up having my picture taken with the other members of council digging, turning the sod there, where you know you have the waterfront Marriott Hotel and three other high-rise buildings. Because I can remember there was a lot of discussion about Block D, and it went on for years, as did the discussion about a new hockey arena, which went on for years. Yeah. Uh, Everything we did was pretty controversial. And I think uh, Mr. Rosen and other members of the council would be the first to admit at this point in time that some of the initiatives we took turned out to be really dead hens, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we just switched uh, our approach and ended up... We, we started trying to persuade, persuade Metalcraft Marine to move their boat building operations somewhere else on the waterfront of Kingston. Right. There was nowhere else. And it was a bad idea because they already were world famous for building metal fireboats. And that could occupy a whole program as well, talking about the way that business has grown oh, yeah. over the years. And, and we, so another thing we suggested, uh, that there were emotions in the community that were against all of these uh, Options. One was to to sell the Memorial Center and build the uh, K Rock Center there. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, in foresight, that was a bad idea because uh, that was built with a help from the Agricultural Association of right. of uh, the area. Yep. And with a $100,000 grant, to get a $100,000 grant from the federal government. But we had uh, an MP named... Uh, Bill Henderson, and he he had good contacts in Ottawa. So, and anyway, the Memorial Center was built to commemorate the the fallen in in the two wars. Right. And so, it's hard to knock we, that down. yeah, there was no way we should take any part of the Memorial Center. So, so we backed off that and went went back to the waterfront. <laughs> so and we that, ended up with the K Rock Center where it is. And that's the difficulty of of sitting around the horseshoe is to try to find something that will please as many people as you can get to be pleased because you're never going to please everybody. You said it exactly. Yeah, we have run out of time, Floyd. Like you said, we needed to go to four o'clock. <laughs> I think we're, we could say we're going to preempt the rest of the program. Well, let me tell you what's going. Well, we're out of time, eh? Yeah. I can't tell you a thing more, anything else. Well, I want to get you back here and maybe Shirley as well to talk about the uh, Fronic Heritage Foundation because that's something you're involved in. Yeah, I'm past president of it, and yeah. uh, our mission is to encourage people to own and maintain 1840s, 1860 houses, right. live in them. And love them and... Update them, yeah. Uh, only on the inside. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway... That's a whole other... So we can't talk about that today. Oh, no, because we're running out of time. I was the chairman of Ontario Heritage 2012 in our conference. We had a, uh, a nine, ten-member organizing committee, and they did such a terrific job. We attracted... We registered 275 people from all over Ontario here in Kingston mm-hmm. to see Kingston's history. It's 
what we're talking about here just testifies to the fact that you are still involved, even though your broadcasting yeah. career may be over, yeah. you're still very much involved in the community. I thank you for the time you've given me today, and we'll have to have you back to well, talk about that. Well, it's good to uh, have a community-minded person like yourself well, to sit here it's a lot and talk of fun to. <laughs> to talk to people. Floyd, thanks very much again for your time. Thank you, Dave. This show is produced in collaboration with CFRC at Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario, with infrastructure support from Queen's Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Find more great podcasts at podcasts.cfrc.ca.